What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Game Informer Show, a weekly podcast covering the video game industry. Join us every Thursday for a discussion about the latest gaming news, reviews, and exclusive reveals alongside Game Informer staff and special guests from across the industry. I'm your host, Alex Van Aken, and today I'm joined by Brian Shea. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Alex. How are you? I'm hanging in there, you know? We are, what, mid-November now? Uh, we've got a lot. A lot of the releases have hit. People are playing God of War. Uh, they're they're playing, you know, maybe Sonic soon. Yeah, some some people playing God of War, which is awesome, and then the other people are playing Sonic, which is also good. <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna get into our Sonic Frontiers review. We're gonna be talking about our Street Fighter Six cover story with Shay and I, and also Kyle Hilliard's here. Welcome back to the show, Kyle. Uh, hello, I'm still here. I think I've been on all every episode since coming back. I think. You have. You know, people on YouTube were like, wait, I listened to MinMax, but I didn't know Kyle was back at Game Informer. And I was responding I, like, yep, he's been here like three weeks. I brought it up on MinMax. It's not some secret. <laughs> it's very funny because when your God of War review went up, people were like, a Kyle Hilliard review on Game Informer? What? What year? Oh, I saw <laughs> someone that was like, Modern Warfare 2 is out and there's a Kyle Hilliard review on GameInformer.com? What year is it? <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Actually. Uh, how you two doing? Brian, how you doing? How, have you recovered from our trip to Japan? I have. I, there was a while there where it was feeling dicey, like I may never be the same again. Because yeah. I was waking up at like 3 a.m. Like I, I slept perfect the first night that I was back. And I'm like, oh, well, I did the, the jet lag time zone. I navigated those waters perfectly. And then like the next four nights, I got maybe four hours of sleep every single night at best. And I just felt like a shell of a human being. And... Slowly but surely, I got back on schedule of my normal sleep habits, and I think I'm back to what is considered normal for my life. I'm not joking when I think it took me like a full eight days to get back on a rhythm. Uh, it was awful, but I mean, the, the trip was great, but I was not prepared for the like jet lag going to Europe early in the summer for the first time. Again, all these are like first for me, so... Going to Europe and coming back that for Gamescom, that was like probably four days of, you know, recovery. Japan was just, uh, oh, I was yeah. not anticipating. It's the other side like, of the right, planet. Everybody's exaggerating. It can't be that bad. It was, uh, it was wild. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, this is my second time in Japan. I went to Tokyo for our Pokemon Sword and Shield cover story back in 2019. Mm. And I was only there for three and a half days because that was a very last oh, minute thing. Yeah. Because that that came up out of the, the wake of our 2019 layoff. So it was like a very last second, like, hey, Brian, can you go on this? And I'm just like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And so I was, I didn't plan like any extra time. I may have been the one that started up that whole conversation. <laughs> yes, originally Kyle Hilliard was the one that was supposed to go. But like, you know, Say, fate hey, had other happen, plans. Right? Yeah. And uh, I ended up going on a very short notice at, while I was in Germany was when I agreed to go on that trip like a week and a half later. And... So I didn't build in any extra time or anything. I just went on the trip, did my stuff, and came back. So it was only three and a half days. So my first time there was not nearly as bad in terms of like jet lag and everything because I just didn't have the time to adapt. Whereas this trip, we were there for a full week. So it, <laughs> it I was fully adjusted to like Japan time. And boy, oh boy, did my body let me know that when I returned. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we can just jump into it. Um, I feel like a YouTuber when I said that. Let's jump into it. Click that like button, subscribe, um, which is actually something you should do over on the YouTube game and the Game Informer YouTube channel. I like that you were like making fun of people who say that. And you're like, well, actually, I'm actually, serious. yeah. 
Let's talk about Street Fighter 6. So yeah, Shay and I went to Osaka uh, a few weeks ago uh, to visit Capcom, and uh, we got to uh, play the latest build of Street Fighter 6. Alex, uh, we you, got you to... are burying the lead here. It's, what? it's the cover. <laughs> it's the cover Be story. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, Street Fighter 6. I just figured people would see the headline, Street Fighter 6 cover reveal, Game Informer show. Right. Yeah, Street Fighter 6 is on our cover this month. It features some awesome art of Ken, and I just want to give a shout out to uh, Lele, Monica. They did an incredible job of, you know, designing this issue. But this was Monica's first cover story that uh, she designed, and she knocked it out of the park. So everybody, go over to GameInformer.com/slash/magazine. Make sure you have a subscription. Get a digital subscription if you don't have one. Uh, you can sign up through Power Up Rewards, or if you want to skip all that. Go to the iOS store, go to the app store, and uh, grab a digital subscription through there. And make sure to read this awesome story that Shay wrote and Monica designed. But Shay, how about you just jump into it? Tell us tell us all about Street Fighter VI and, and what you learned. Yeah, so basically this was kind of like a, a kind of a deep dive, but also kind of a behind-the-scenes story, right? We got there. People have played Street Fighter VI. There's been a closed beta there have been several trade show appearances. We all played it at Summer Game Fest. You played it, I think, at Gamescom, right? I did. Uh, I played it at Evo and SGF. Okay, so Evo. So people like the the fighting game enthusiasts have played it at Evo. The they they were talking about how they just got back from Brazil because they were at like some trade show out in Brazil right before our trip. So like, I'm sure they were dealing with the same jet lag issues we've been dealing with, and it. It, it's something that people have played is basically my point here. But like we got there, we got to play the original build that people played the for the closed beta, kind of went hands-on with that just to kind of refresh our memory. Had a ton of interviews with producers, directors, uh, sound designers, composers, art directors, uh, legacy people to talk about the history of Street Fighter. And it was just a really an amazing experience. And then on top of that, we got to talk a kind of a deep dive into character designs uh, with a, a specific focus on Ken, but really like the entire cast as it has been revealed so far. Like there's been like a reveal of like what the actual launch lineup is going to be. And then there's been like the reveal of what all those characters actually look like. And we got to talk about the characters as they actually like the ones that we've gotten good looks at, not the ones that we haven't really gotten good looks at. But also we got to experience the new dynamic controls, which was kind of something that came out of nowhere. Like it was it was brought up and then we talked further about it. And then it was decided at negotiations kind of on the ground in Japan that they were going to allow us to not only talk to them about it and get the exclusive reveal about that, but also go hands on with this new control scheme, which is very unique. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's so this is their third uh, control type. Yeah. So now there's there's classic, there's modern, and now there's dynamic, and this is truly. I think people were saying modern control scheme was like Street Fighter Easy Mode. No, 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 no. Dynamic mode is Street Fighter Easy Mode. It is not. You can't play it on online. Just local. Yeah. So classic is the kind of the traditional Street Fighter controls that everybody's used to from Street Fighter Two and onward. And uh, Street Fighter or uh, modern controls are basically like it puts like uh, special moves and throws mapped to one individual face button. So like if you want to throw a Hadouken or if you want to do another special move, you just push that button and it'll automatically do it. So you don't have to put in any inputs, but you can also put in inputs as well. 
but this is designed to be balanced against classic controls. So you can use that competitively, whether it's online or like in tournaments or whatever. And uh, Nakayama, who is the director, he actually was like, yeah, I think there's going to be people who, people who are going to be like rise to the top of the ranks using modern controls. And he, it, the team sees that as an alternative to classic controls instead of like an easy mode or like training wheels. Yeah. For I, I think I asked, controls. I was like, do you think we, because at SGF, Nakayama said, uh, I think if people want to compete with it, they should. And I followed up with that and was like, you said this at SGF, but I want to know, is it actually viable? Are we going to see people in top eight at Evo using modern controls? And he said, definitely. Yeah, and he was even like, there's never going to be any pressure from the game to like graduate to classic controls. Like, It's not like, all right, well, you're you're a new Street Fighter player playing modern controls. Why don't you, if you played modern controls enough, why don't you try classic controls? It's never going to get that message, according to him. So that's something that I think is interesting and, and kind of really is a testament to the fact that this is meant to be an equal to classic controls, and it's balanced against that. And they've they've toyed with different ideas of like, all right, well, maybe like special moves using the face button instead of the inputs will be uh, less powerful or something. Or the fact that you just don't have the ability to choose low, medium, high for your specials is going to be enough to kind of make it so it's a strategic disadvantage, despite the fact that you're able to do it without having to input the specific commands. But then you get over to dynamic controls, and that is meant to be completely different from these classic and uh, modern control schemes. So dynamic controls really are, it's really just an easy mode. And the way that it works, uh, we had Shuya Matsumoto, who is the producer of Street Fighter VI, he, we, we basically were like, all right, yeah, let's let's see you guys play dynamic controls. And Matsumoto put the controller on the table flat and then just like holds up his one index finger and he's just like tapping the buttons. And as we look at the screen while he's doing that, tapping buttons one at a time with his index finger, kind of like how like a person who didn't grow up with typewriters or, or keyboards types on their yeah. computer. Like he was doing that basically and the character on screen is pulling off all kinds of moves uh, and basically dynamic refers to, I thought it was going to be like kind of like dynamic difficulty in a, a sports game like MLB The Show where it's like, all right, well, as you get better, the controls will like adapt and make it so that it's more, more kind of like advanced. But no, that's not what it is. Instead, what it is, is it's dynamic in the sense that it... Re the AI will react dynamically based on your positioning and the the situation of the match. So, like, if you're far away and you press, like, square on your PlayStation controller, maybe Ryu will throw a Hadouken. But if you press that same square button when there's a character up close to you, maybe he'll pull off a combo. So it's it's meant to, like, make it so you can play with, like... The, the example they gave is, like, a father playing with his, like, young son. And it's like he wants it to be a good time for for everyone where like the father's still getting a challenge and the young son is like, you know, just basically hitting buttons indiscriminately and still pulling off cool stuff and like still able to look at the screen and be like, oh, cool. I made Chun-Li pull off her special move. Well, I, that, yeah, I, that was my question. It's like, do they still do they expect people to be tapping away at Square like during the whole fight or do they? I mean, it's just any face button, basically. Okay. There's from what I understand, from from my time playing hands-on, the two things that you still have to do manually, you still have to, like, change your positioning. So, like, if you want to move around, you can do that on the D-pad or the joystick, whichever way you like to play. And parries, which are part of the... It's a big part of the, the drive system in Street Fighter VI. You still pull those off manually by pressing one of the, uh, one of the shoulder buttons. I think it's just, like, the right shoulder button, like RB. 
but it might have been the trigger if I'm I'm just trying to remember what my hands on times. But yeah, those are things you still have to manually pull off from my understanding. I think you can actually you don't actually have to change your direction yourself. It will um like uh, me and you, I think we used it that way. But okay. I also saw Matsumoto. I've been watching the gameplay footage we have. Um, we've got like a camera on his hand, and he literally only touches the right side of the controller. And his character is like jumping around and like jumping into the fight with literally just one finger. And it's and he was fighting against you guys for this demonstration. He was fighting against Nakayama-san. Okay, because I was gonna uh, say, are you sure classic. he's just not so good and that, that he was just trouncing you guys? With one no, I think Nakayama-san's the best uh, Street Fighter ki- player in the office, aside from Woshigi, who is an actual Evo competitor. Yeah, and. Uh, he was like even trouncing. Uh, I, well, I think Nakayama almost won a couple of them, and, and right. maybe he was pull, pulling his punches. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty impressive. But we did play against each other, both using dynamic controls. So we did get a sense of how yeah. gotcha. it works. And you can definitely start to like, okay, like when I'm at this range, I can tell when I hit this button, I'm doing the same move over and over. So like, you can kind of get like a a muscle memory going with it, which is interesting. It also just seems like it's functional even as like a tutorial too, of just to watch and be like, oh, this is this is what should you should be doing when you're in this position, you know, and then maybe you can translate sure. to something later. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually a smart way of framing it because, you know, the AI is basically trying to determine what you should do and by kind of almost like learning from the AI in a way that maybe some people do when they play against like against an actual AI opponent. But yeah, that that's a good way of putting it. Uh, we got to go into the sound studio. We've got a great video of that um, and and watch them um, kind of work on Kimberly's, uh, one of Kimberly's theme. Um, I think it's her main theme. And it was, it was rad too. Like that's a really cool theme that she has. And yeah, uh, yeah so it's Teriyama is the composer and sound director, I believe. And yeah. uh, it was just really cool to see him working in his studio and like, putting this song together like all the different stems piece by piece and like playing it on the keyboard like all right i'm gonna play this part and it dun, 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 and then he'd be like all right i'm gonna like add little flourishes to it and just watch it come together like instrumentation by instrumentation until it's like a cohesive song that you can hear in the game it was it was really cool to get that behind the scenes look i was also kind of geeking out um i, I mean i've been playing music for like 15 years recording for like 10 and seeing like the doll that they use, which is like their recording software, uh, he was using a, a, a doll called Cubase, which is traditionally like not something you would think like this commercial developer would be using. What what is that term you're using? Doll? Doll? Yeah. What is that? Digital audio workstation. D A W. So it's oh, it's like the hardware they were using to record. Uh, like Ableton or Pro Tools or Reason or Cubase, but like Cubase is typically not something that you would expect to see at like a big company Uh. and so it was was very cool because it almost felt like this was just like his fate his it was almost like granted it was like a very nice studio but it was like okay he's literally just like at, at almost at home like in his little home studio here just knowing the tools that he's using and it was really cool to see Gotcha. And by the way, you can see videos of all these things, both of yeah, Teriyama yeah. composing the theme and the dynamic controls of uh, Matsumoto and Nakayama on GameInformer.com and the YouTube channel for Game Informer. Yeah, YouTube.com slash Game Informer. We got both videos for that as well as a rapid fire this week. Those are always um, fun. Yeah. And they were good sports. They were very good sports. 
They were. It was a really cool trip. I feel like this, like you said, Shay, like this is one of those cover stories where like a lot of people kind of know like Street Fighter 6 is a known quantity at this point. Like we aren't necessarily revealing a ton. It's more so like diving deeper into what we know about and learning about like, you know, the philosophy behind the designs of, of these characters and kind of more of an inside look. It was cool. It was, uh, it was my first, like I said, my first in-person cover story and it was I had a lot of fun. It was kind of a throwback for me in that regard because Pokemon Sword and Shield, I mean, we granted, we got a lot more access with Street Fighter Six than we did Pokemon Sword and Shield, but that was my first cover trip was Sword and Shield back in 2019, and that was to Japan, and that story was more focused on the behind the scenes and like design philosophies than it was actually like, hey, here's like exclusive reveals about the gameplay and like yeah. hands-on impressions. Like, this again, we have hands-on impressions. We have like some exclusive reveals, but it, a lot of it is like behind the scenes, like talking to the people who made it, talking about like the lessons they learned from Street Fighter Five, the inspirations they took from all the Street Fighters basically to this point, and the the return the recurring theme that I kind of found as I was talking to everybody is like there's just like so much new here and so much fresh here, but they're also learning a lot from the past of Street Fighter, like. Mm-hmm. There, it is a definitely a new era for the franchise. They're taking a lot of risks and a lot of new uh, directions for the series, but they are also remaining so true to like Street Fighter two, three, four, and even the the kind of revitalized version of five. <laughs> yes, yeah. carefully step over the launch of five. <laughs> oh, they did not. They they embraced yeah. that. Like when I talked to them about that, they were like, "Oh yeah, we learned that." Like our community wants to be like communicated with, believe it or not. And like, pe- that's really important to people. And we also like learned all these other things. And I, I put that all in the cover story because that turned out to be a very important uh, part of what made six. So theoretically so good is that they learned a lot from five and like the mistakes that were made in five, they just did not want to repeat. Like, the development team seems to they're going for it with a lot of like new features with six and in talking to uh Suchia, who is the producer i think he's been at capcom for 30 years now he was talking about how like he can't remember the last time there was a project at capcom where they just didn't have to make any compromises because he went to like capcom leadership and like advocated like hey we can't have a repeat of what street fighter 5 was we want it to be we w- we want to give them the time that they need to like fully realize their vision. So we don't want to rush this out. But like you know, here's all the stuff we're doing, and like, apparently Capcom leadership was just like, yeah, go for it. We'll we'll support you however we can. So I think everybody is aware that like five was not a good launch, and they want to avoid that by any means necessary. Yeah, I think um, speaking to Street Fighter Five as well, there was an interesting tidbit. I don't know if you put this in your cover story or not, but. When we were talking about just like characters and stuff, like even uh, characters like uh, Luke, who were in Street Fighter Five at the tail end of it, were kind. Of, they were kind of like putting him in that game, knowing he was going to be in Six, and like trying to. It was apparently like a, an interesting challenge because like, okay, we're gonna put him in Five, but like he's one of our mainstays in Six, and like we want him it's like okay we're kind of designing him for both games it was yeah it was interesting so i talked to them about that i asked uh, nakayama about that it's like oh you, you you know the final dlc character of street fighter 5 is the main protagonist of street fighter 6 yeah. and he was like well you know we kind of looked at him internally as a guest character instead of like a street fighter 5 dlc character 
because but like at the time street fighter 6 wasn't announced so we had to kind of dance around that a little bit and just be like oh yeah this is like hinting towards like the future of street fighter but like they couldn't outright be like street fighter 6 main character coming to street fighter 5 but then you know when they announced street fighter 6 they were and like kind of did like the first reveal they were able to retroactively say that that was the the idea yeah. Uh, anything else we're missing, Shay? I think that just we're just going to have a whole lot of stuff on GameInformer.com slash Street Fighter 6. That's going to be our hub for the next few weeks here. And uh, Alex, you're going to have a bunch of incredible videos looking at behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have some written stuff regarding the look of Ken. We're going to talk about like the design of a lot of the characters so far. As you mentioned, you already have a rapid fire up there, which is, I think, always our most fun piece that we do of any coverage hub. And yeah. then, of course, go learn all you can about dynamic controls. And, oh, the arcade. Uh, we, yeah, I was getting to that. We're going to, okay. we, we went, we actually convinced Capcom to allow us to essentially kidnap Nakayama and Matsumoto for an evening. And we left from the, the Capcom offices and went to a, uh, a game center in Osaka to play Street Fighter 2, 3, and 5 at like arcade cabinets out in, in one of the arcades there. They have five arcade cabinets? Street oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's they cool. don't have them in the States, but they have them. And, and they update them. They update them all the time. Um, so they have, it, it's like Street Fighter 5 type arcade. And they're just constantly implementing like new costumes and everything. So like you have access to everything when you put in a a, a token or a, or a, a, a one hundred yen piece. So there, it, it's a much bigger experience over there. And I mean, you know, arcades aren't as big over here or, or, or in the the states as they are over there. So they have a bunch of four cabinets. They have you know all kinds of different Street Fighter Two cabinets. Like you know as many versions as there are of Street Fighter Two. They pretty much have arcade cabinets for all of them. Uh, but yeah, so we have a video where we got to go to an arcade with them and kind of watch them battle it out for like what they probably played for like forty five minutes to an hour against each other. Yeah, they were going yeah. for a while, hmm. and I, we we learned a fun fact that uh, that very arcade that we went to. Uh, Nakayama's first experience on the Street Fighter team was delivering an updated build of Street Fighter 4 to that arcade, that very arcade that we went to. So it was kind of a uh, a nostalgic moment for him as well, going back to that arcade. Yeah, it was cool. So we, And we've got a video of that as well. So lots of great content if you're looking for, for Street Fighter stuff. Again, GameInformer.com slash Street Fighter 6. And also, we should, uh, before we move on from Street Fighter 6, like, it, it is worth saying that, like, playing this game feels very good. Like, yeah, I've gone back and played, like, cause I tried to avoid, uh, you know, I played Street Fighter 4 and 5 in the lead up to, oh, and Street Fighter 2 in the lead up to going on this cover trip. But once I got on the cover trip, I kind of just avoided Street Fighter until... It was like playing older Street Fighter games until I had written the cover story. But since going back or since finishing up the cover story, I went and played Street Fighter 4 and 5 on my PlayStation. And it's like, man, Street Fighter 6 just plays really well. Like, I love 4. Four, Ultra 4 may be my favorite Street Fighter game. And it's like 6 just feels so darn good that I can't wait to like actually get my hands on it more uh, because... It, I, I just think that it's it's going to be one of the better playing Street Fighter games if our hands-on time was any indication. Yeah, and the roster thus far uh, has been really great from what I think we've both gotten hands on all the characters at this point. Um, yep. They all feel like super distinct, and uh, I, I can't wait. 
Yeah, for sure. So I, that's very easily one of my most anticipated games of 2023. I mean, it already was because I love Street Fighter, but even more so after this trip. Definitely. And also, while we were in Osaka, Alex, we just have to tease this a little bit. Yeah. We went to Super Nintendo World. And uh, not to kind of send people away from the Game Informer show, but if they want to hear more about our trip to that, go listen to All Things Nintendo from a couple weeks ago, where you and I broke down all of our favorite stuff at Super Nintendo World. Yeah, that was an awesome episode. That was an awesome opportunity we had to go and visit uh, Super Nintendo World. Definitely a highlight of the trip and like something I will remember for a very long time. It was... Maybe unforgettable is the better word. Yeah. Um, I don't know, guys. I think it sounds pretty lame, and I'm not jealous at all. The short version <laughs> is honest. it may be the coolest theme park I've ever been to. Yeah. Who would? That sounds like a waste of time. But yeah, <laughs> if you want to hear more about that between me and Alex, go listen to All Things Nintendo from a couple weeks ago. It's very easy to figure out which one it is because it literally, I think it's called Visiting Super Nintendo World. Absolutely. Uh, well, Shay, let's get into the playlist uh, Sonic Frontiers, I feel like, is the big game of the week uh, in terms of review embargoes. I was about to say, um, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, of course, people are probably, hopefully, really enjoying their time with God of War. Um, but the Sonic Frontiers review embargo is finally up. We can talk about it. You've been playing it. You reviewed it for us. Give us an overview. Maybe maybe share your score at the top. I know people get love to hear that. Uh, and then kind of just, yeah, tell us what you thought about the game, Shay. Sure. So I gave it a 7.75 out of 10. And I will say that, you know, it is a large change to the Sonic the Hedgehog formula, which we knew going in. And even though it is rough around the edges, I think that it's the best Sonic game we've gotten in years. And I mean, it follows kind of in line with the Sonic Adventure 1 formula in some ways, in the sense that, like, you know, you're able to run around this hub world. But the hub world in Sonic Frontiers is so much more involved. It's more like a, yeah. a level unto itself, whereas Sonic Adventure 1 was kind of like, yeah, there's some mild puzzles and everything here and there. But it was primarily its primary goal was to get you to like the levels, whereas the levels, the like the linear stages of Sonic Frontiers are much more sprinkled, de-emphasized, I would say, in terms of like you can even skip them if you want. Like you, you can find a lot of the stuff that you need to progress very slowly albeit through the open zones and but there are they are segmented so there are several islands i don't want to say how many there are for fear of spoilers but there are several islands that you go to and so it's not like just one giant open world like i think some people expected at the very beginning of this marketing campaign but it's kind of come into focus that that is the way that it is I think primarily through our cover story back in, I guess that was, what was that, June or July? I think it was June was yeah. when our cover story hit. I but, think the way I've been framing it in my brain has been like more like a Mario Odyssey type thing where you got these big levels and they're like a big playground. Yeah, I would say almost the way that Super Mario Odyssey was kind of like a, a spiritual successor to Super Mario 64 this is kind of like a further realization of the concepts that were at play with Sonic Adventure 1. But that said, you know, you're only playing a Sonic, so that's very much a, a departure from the Sonic Adventure 1 formula, which, you know, one of the core conceits of that game was you play as six different characters. I think six, yeah. And then with uh, Sonic Frontiers, you're just playing a Sonic running around. Uh, one of the main things is to help your friends, but the main area of progression within the story is you're collecting the seven chaos emeralds which you know is a, a 
kind of a, a cool nod to the series history to this point because that's always been one of like the cool side goals of the at least the classic Sonic games is you're collecting the the Chaos Emeralds to eventually hopefully turn into Super Sonic anytime after Sonic 2 and then uh with this collecting the Chaos Emeralds and then after you collect all the Chaos Emeralds on a uh on one of the islands you are able to transform into supersonic and battle the titan of that island which are these just giant bosses that you you, you you're invincible as supersonic but you you know you're constantly depleting rings it's really a, it almost felt some of them felt like a doomsday zone from sonic 3 and knuckles which may be getting a little in the weeds for people who aren't sonic fans but basically these titan battles feel like anime battles where it's just like you know, you're Sonic in his Super Saiyan form, and you're going up against these creatures that can take just an enormous amount of punishment, but, you know, you're invincible, but as you go through these these encounters, you're every second you deplete a ring. So you have a limited number of uh, amount of time to to finish this boss battle, and all of their attacks, none of them damage you because you're invincible, but it, it delays your attack, so, like... The longer you take, the lower your ring count gets. And if your ring count reaches mm. zero, you you fall down and, and you have to start the battle over. So it, it, it's frustrating at times because of that. But at the same time, those are probably my most memorable moments in the game. Because like when you finally beat it, you look back and you're like, wow, that was that was really cool the way they did that. Like, yeah, they probably can fine tune these in future entries. But like every level... like. It's very cinematic. Every single Titan battle has its own vocal track that feels ripped right out of like an anime credit sequence. Oh, nice. And like, it's just, it's just a really badass battle sequence every single time. And each one is different too. So like, it's just a, it's one of the most memorable parts of the game. And I always had a good time, even amidst some of the frustration that those areas presented. I asked you on Slack, and I even I think I even qualified it there. I was like, maybe this is a podcast discussion. But do you think that Sonic Frontiers is the best 3D Sonic? Oh, man, that's so tough because like Sonic Generations is super good, uh, but it does suffer from some some problems with level design, especially later on. Do you remember what you gave that one review score wise? I did not review Sonic Generations. Oh, you didn't. Okay, okay. And I every it's it, you can't really compare review scores in that way. I was just curious, um, but anyway, please. Sonic Unleashed, uh, the daytime stages were super good in that, and I think Sonic Adventure One and Two, at their time of release, may have been better than Sonic Frontiers. But if you're talking about like what the best Sonic game is to play in 2022, I'd probably say Frontiers. I I man, I mean, it's the first one I'm excited to play since like Sonic Adventure Two. I think you know what I mean. Like I. I'm gonna check it out. I'm I'm excited to play it because like I th- when Sonic th- is is in 3D and it's like singing and it's cool, like it's fun, you know. But there's just been so many missteps, you know. Yeah, and I mean you have a long history play. You were part of that Sonic 06 Super Replay, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I I think I removed that from my memory. <laughs> there's no way of knowing <laughs> if I participated in it fully or not. Uh, no, abs- I played through uh, Sonic 06 in its entirety. I lived, uh, and I've lived to tell about it, yeah. Yeah, I, I played through Sonic 06 when it first came out, and, you know, it is it is very rough to, to go back to that, especially now. But, yeah, like, they, I think with this story, they accomplish a lot of what Sonic 06 was trying to go for, which was, like, kind of a more mature story. And where Sonic 06 was kind of, like, laughable 
in that regard. This, I think, hits it out of the park in some ways. Like, there are some times where, like, it's just, like, there's a cutscene and it's like, all right, this is, like, really melodramatic and, like, almost to the point of, like, I winced a little bit. But, like, I would say 90% of the time the story landed for me. And there are some really good moments with uh, some of the characters that Sonic interacts with that, like, just seem like some of the better character moments in the series history like i don't want to spoil it but there's one of like this like one of the characters is like focused on growth and uh a moment that he has with sonic it's like oh well that's actually kind of touching that they're talking about that and like knowing like what their relationship is it's kind of cool to to see it evolve in that way and then like in the in the context of frontiers or are we talking about long-term sonic in the context of the entire franchise which by the way People who are fans of Sonic will love a lot of the callbacks that they do. And, like, they're none of them are really, like, consequential in the sense that, like, oh, well, it's not like watching Infinity War and not having seen any of the other Marvel movies where it's like, who are these people? It's like every once in a while it'll be like, oh, this kind of reminds me of that time we were on Angel Island. And it's like a callback to, like, Sonic 3 or something. And they do that all the way up through uh, Sonic Forces. So, like, they call back to a lot of the classic games and even some of the lesser loved games. So it's, it's really nice to have that. And like that fan service. And you could tell that Ian Flynn, who has written the comics for, I want to say 15, 20 years at this point, he he came over from the Archie comics and now he writes the IDW, IDW run. He, this is the first game that he's written and you can tell like there's a lot of love and care put into the story. And like, he knows these characters super well. Interesting. Cool. Uh, well, anything else, Brian, on Sonic Frontiers? Um, I'll, I guess I'll say that, like, you know, the combat is pretty simplistic. You do unlock new skills through a skill tree. And if you don't really want to futz around with the combat system, you can unlock an auto combo option, which when you go in and, like, you're just hitting the button for, like, attack, you don't have to worry about any inputs. It's kind of like the dynamic controls of Sonic, where okay. it will, it the AI will decide, like, what unlocked attacks that you have and which ones are best used in that scenario and uh it it, you can turn that on or off once you unlock it in the skill tree i i played around with it a little bit and then i decided to turn it off because i liked having a more dynamic well there's that word again a, a more dynamic input sequence to put in for my my combat combos and then uh other than that the open zone structure it is so much fun running around these open zones, as they refer to them as, because they, they kind of want to steer away from open world because, uh, I don't know. But, uh, well, it sounds like that's not what the game is, right? It's not open yeah. world in the traditional it's sense. It's not really, yeah, it's not like a Red Dead Redemption type of situation where you can just go anywhere whenever you want. But they're designed well sometimes. Other times, they're just an illogical mess where it's like, I just need to get to this one point, this one waypoint that I set how the hell do I get to it? And I was just like looking all over the place. Like, all right, well, I'm looking up in the sky saying like, all right, well, that rail leads from there. Like, you know how like if you do like a maze backwards, that's kind of like an easier way to complete the maze. Yeah. Uh, That's what I was trying to do in my head. But then pop-in was such a problem for this game where like I'd be walking and I'd be like, all right, well, where does that rail lead to? And then I'd get a little bit closer and then suddenly like a whole series of platforms would populate in front of me. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes that a lot easier. But oh, sometimes, and you're playing on PS5, right? Yeah, yeah I did okay. switch over to frames per second uh, mode instead of 
uh, 4K mode, which I highly recommend 60 FPS mode because it just feels so much smoother on a game like this where movement is such a, an important part of the game. Brian, I'll take it a step further. I'd recommend that mode for literally every game. <laughs> <laughs> but like a game like this in particular, like I'm sometimes agnostic to like, all right, do I want to do 4K mode or do I want to do 60 FPS mode? It's like, eh, whatever. But like for this, like I played maybe the first six or seven hours of this game in 4k mode and then i switched over to fps mode i'm like wow this is like night and day how much smoother this is with fps mode so recommend that but i don't know maybe that contributed to the pop-in because i but like i don't know it just the pop-in was pretty egregious at times and that sometimes also made it more difficult to navigate the world as you're trying to like trace like all right well i need to get to there so take that rail system over to here where does that rail system lead to and then you get closer and realize there's platforms that would have helped you get up to there but yeah i think that the world is overall fine but like it's frustrating at times so just go into it knowing that and again the game itself is fun it's the best sonic we've had a best 3d sonic i should clarify because sonic mania rules the best 3d sonic game we've had in many many years maybe ever and uh but yeah it's still rough around the edges and i'm most excited to see like where the studio takes it from here because they have said that this is kind of like the blueprint and the foundation for future sonic games so i'm curious to see where they take this formula and like how they go about refining it from here awesome well, thank you for that insight, Shay. We've got a couple minutes left in the podcast. It's going to be a shorter episode. We are just swamped with work, and uh, I'm getting ready to be out of the country again. So we're just going to keep rolling. Kyle, how is Shadows of Rose DLC, the new Resident Evil 8 Village, uh, what, Ethan, Winter's Expansion? Is that yeah, what this is? Yeah, it's part of the Winter's Expansion, which is, yeah, Resident Evil Village DLC, which is like... There's some mercenary modes modes that have been added, and then you can now nice. play through the entirety of Village in third person, which is kind of wild. Did you try that out at I all? I didn't mess with that mostly because uh, Rose plays third person, right? Like that, the DLC okay. is third person, so I got a little taste okay, of how yeah. that works. It's uh, I love Village. I think Village was like one of my favorite games that year it came out. It's, Me too. It's like I four is still kind of my favorite Resident Evil, but I would put Village up pretty high because I like. I like when they go big with Resident Evil, and I feel like Village did. And uh, it also left off in such a way where I was like curious to see, well, what's the deal with this Rose character? She seems like she's mm-hmm. going to be kind of important to Resident Evil moving forward. And ultimately, like, the story is pretty benign. Like, it doesn't really add a lot to, you know, I thought maybe it would be kind of a, a tease for what's coming next. What is, is this, yeah. is this going to tell us what Resident Evil 9 is going to be about, which is not really the case ultimately which is fine but um basically it's like a little bite-sized version of village you're you're revisiting the same places right? yeah yeah like you you go to lady d's castle and you kind of play like a shortened version of that game like that resident i guess because the weird village is structured in such a way where they almost each section almost feels like a unique game in a way you know like the beginning you're playing in the castle and it feels like traditional resident evil and then you go back to gosh the house the house bien ben viento is that what it's called yeah yeah and uh which is like if you played village that section of the game is just absolutely insane you, it takes away all your uh, like uh, guns and everything and it becomes this horrifying puzzle and giant baby monsters are chasing you through hallways and it's horrifying and uh yeah. this awful yeah it's it's terrifying like it more it's probably is that the, is there something similar in this yes, or there absolutely is okay. it's, it's oh, the God. scariest resident evil has ever been and this um 
And they kind of stick with that. There's a new type of enemy in that area while you're trying to solve puzzles. That um, okay. It's this mannequin that only moves oh, that when tracks. you're not looking at it. Um, okay. So like you'll Wait, see that, it. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's like a Doctor Who kind of thing. Right? I'm not a Doctor Who guy, but there's I guess there's some creature in that show that functions that way. There is, but I was thinking more of Boo from Mario. You know, I didn't think of that, but kind of except you know it's it's the way the camera works is like you have to take the character out of your field of view for it to start moving towards you which is which is horrifying like you it's it, when you swing the yeah. camera back around and you see it kind of lurch to a stop because you knew it was like sprinting at you and now it can't move because you're staring at it it's creepy man and then um i i should have contextualized this at the beginning but you're actually like playing through memories as opposed to like a grounded real scenario that's happening and okay because of that things are, can be a little bit more abstract and strange and then the second part of playing through that area that house rose actually kind of gets shrunk down a little bit and she's like it feels almost like little nightmares where you're kind of exploring what yeah it, you're okay. exploring the house and like but you're the, the doors are much bigger than they should be it's cool it's it's far and away the coolest part of the dlc is revisiting the house because it's like it's a callback to what was cool in Village, but it also feels unique. So are you just like revisiting like the greatest hits of Village? Like are you going to the, the windmill and the fortress? And uh, No, you really basically only go to those two places and then a little bit of the okay. village itself. And then Rose has this ability where she she can like kind of pause enemies um, to slow them down to pull off better headshots. And then there's like some puzzle solving with these like plants that have sort of invaded the castle and the house and she can kind of use her abilities to get rid of those plants which that's kind of what leads to these sort of unique puzzly elements so it's it's not like a greatest hits it's more like a unique character in a unique third person perspective in familiar village locations i think would be okay. like the best way to describe it but um okay it's cool I, I i would go so far as to say it's like a must play I, I, I get, I, it feels like something I might YouTube. Yes, yeah, I think that would be fair. I, I, I did, I did review it. I gave it a seven seven five. It doesn't, you know, you don't need it to get ready for Resident Evil Nine or anything like that. You know, suppose, but they okay. haven't announced Resident Evil Nine. I assume that they're working on a Resident Evil Nine, but it's cool. Like if you liked Village and you kind of want to get another little taste of Village without having to replay the full game and learn a little bit about Rose, uh, I think it's 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 worth checking out. I think. Awesome, yeah, yeah. Resident Evil Village was the first Resident Evil I've played since RE5. And before RE5, uh, it was maybe like RE1. I don't know. Have you have you never played 4? I haven't. So I'm really looking forward to the remake. Oh, interesting. Uh, that you're going to go in yeah. without like every, every... I mean, I know a lot of what happens because yeah. I'm like... I like um, watching like Resident Evil video, like lore and stuff yeah. occasionally. And I, I know like the the premise of the game and some of the big moments early on. Let's spoil them all here. Yeah, perfect. It's still a unique perspective because a lot of, I mean, that's a game that people just know so well. Oh, I've yeah. probably played through that game at least four times in my life, you know, GameCube, yeah. Wii, uh, Switch, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was kind of horror averse for a while and I still am, but I'm, I'm finding that I think if I can get over my, my, pre-playing or pre-watch anxiousness with horror stuff i really do enjoy it so i'm trying to just like force myself and resident evil village was the first horror game i think i finished in oh a bear in in like years so how'd you do in that house then did you do all right in there it was awful <laughs> it was awful terrible. it was so bad 
Uh, By the way, we had a chance to go to a Resident Evil experience at Universal Studios Osaka while we were there for Super Nintendo World, but we just ran out of time. But basically what it is is you enter this building and it's like a maze that you go through and there are zombies who will pop out and chase you. Yeah, and uh, it sounded horrifying, but unfortunately, we we did plan on going to it, but we just spent six and a half hours at Super Nintendo World. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have liked to go on that, but it would have been cool. Yeah, but oh, that's cool though. I uh, I am interested in the story bits, the the Mitamises and all that kind of stuff, whatever it's called. Yeah, to get into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna try to YouTube it. There's the end cutscene of Resident Evil Village. I think maybe it even may, might be post credits where you kind of meet Rose proper. Um, okay. It contextualizes that scene a little more. Yeah, yeah, um, the the yeah, I remember that scene. But it doesn't it doesn't take the story further than that, which is which is a little disappointing. Huh. Okay. Well, interesting. But I think that's gonna do it for the show this week, y'all. Very short. Uh, I guess I'll just say real quick. I've been playing Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope. I, I just beat the first boss last night. Really, really enjoying that game. Uh, I'm, I'm a big strategy sicko, and that is just hitting the spot, man. There's a lot of, I mean, I want to play God of War. I want to play Sonic. We got Pokemon coming up, uh, but I just haven't had time, and Mario Rabbids has been that. Okay, I've got 20 minutes. Let me, like, progress a little, and uh, it's been awesome. I'm, I'm excited. I'm hoping to uh, make some good progress this week on my trip. Uh, I got a lot of air time, so... Uh, maybe next episode I'll I'll kind of share more robust thoughts on that game. Honestly, that is something that I am extremely like I'm worried that I because Kyle, you kept talking about how long God of War Ragnarok is, and yeah, but like it's good. It's you're not gonna feel like it's long. <laughs> no, no, no. Here, what I'm saying is, Pokemon is right on the horizon, especially for those of us who <laughs> may or may not be reviewing it, and I don't. I don't want to dive into a game and then have to focus all my gaming time on a review game and then have to come back a week and a half later and be like, oh, yeah, what's going on in the story? How do I play this game again? Yeah, I, that's what happened with me with The Witcher 3. And I just ended up starting The Witcher 3 over back in like 2015. God of War genuinely it would be a hard game to stop. Like the story is just so good that like you're not you're just not going to want to pause it. So I understand. I think the, that's going to be my Thanksgiving game. Yeah, like set aside some time for it for sure. Um, like start it and commit to it. I think it's the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Well, cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll play one of the best experiences of the year. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening and enjoyed the show, be sure to go and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five star review uh, if you if you if you believe it. Uh, and then um, over on Spotify, leave us a rating over there. We do read off our Apple Podcast reviews as long as they're respectful. Even the ones that offer critiques. So uh, you have any suggestions for the show or you're just enjoying it and you want to go and help us out and uh, leave a nice review. That does help us out a lot uh, in terms of search algorithms and, you know, appearing on certain front page lists and all that kind of stuff. So if you're enjoying the Game Informer show, go leave us a review. We appreciate it. Uh, you can follow the crew here this week on social media, uh, assuming they're still going to be on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Brian <laughs> Shea at Brian P. Shea. Why? What's happening over there? What's going on? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, you can follow Shea on Instagram at that same tag. You can find, find Kyle at Kyle M. Hilliard, H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D. Uh, and you can follow me at It's Van Aiken on Twitter, Instagram, and maybe Mastodon. I don't know. Co-host. Co-host. I set up my co-host. Yeah, yeah my co-host. I've got a co-host as well. Yeah. At It's 
luckily like that name is just available everywhere so and also alex sporting the fresh haircut today looking good buddy thank you i haven't had time to actually i literally like got out of the haircut chair as i was coming home to do this so i haven't actually gotten to style it but uh much needed i was feeling just like shaggy as hell yeah, i mean we didn't want to say anything but we have a slack channel where we've been talking about it oh yeah 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 I, that's fair man i deserved it <laughs> well that's gonna do it for the show this week my wife is calling so i'm gonna go goodbye everybody we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs>